Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. I uh, have been in recent days, kind of during this season, um, making lots of announcements right now, and I'm not going to do that today. I'm actually going to save that for uh, the end of our time uh, today, and uh, some of you may have already made appointments to pick up food or something like that for Mother's Day, so uh, we're going to get out a little bit earlier, I, I hope and pray. Uh, here's what's going to happen. We're going to completely end the service, but those of you that want to hang out for a little bit afterwards can do that because I'm going to do some sharing of what uh, some decisions the elders have made. Uh, some of you may just want to, once the service is over, just go ahead and go about your business and come back and, and open that YouTube video again and just run to the end uh, to see what we're going to talk about there. But uh, before I, I, I start into the day's message, let me begin by saying uh, Happy Mother's Day to all of, our, all of our river moms out there. We're glad you're joining us. We hope you're with your families uh, and uh, I know some can't be uh, because of the times that we're in, but I'm praying that even though you may not have the presence of your family with you, I'm praying that you'll experience the power, the overwhelming presence of the Lord Jesus with you uh, today, because I can't think of a better Mother's Day gift than to know and feel and experience the incredible, overwhelming love of Jesus. And that's what I'm, I'm praying for you uh, today. Now, recently, I read a, a, a questionnaire that had been given out to some second graders. And the questionnaire was all about moms. It, it was given out several years ago. And the first question was an interesting question, but it wasn't nearly as interesting as the answers that were given. Um, the first question was simply this. Why did God make mothers? I thought it was a pretty good question. Here's a couple of the answers. One said, because she's the only one who knows where the Scots tape is. It's a future pragmatist, obviously. Another said, the response to, why did God make mothers? Mostly to take care of me. That's a future narcissist, obviously. Here's another answer. It's kind of graphic, just go ahead and warn you. Uh, this, this second grader said, to help us get out of there when we were being born. You know, just, uh, here's what I'd like you to do for just a second. Just, you know, whoever you're with right now uh, in your home, maybe just answer that question. Why did God make mothers? Take a second and answer that question. Why did God make mothers? Here's how I answered it. To help us arrive at God's best once we're born. To help us arrive at God's best once we're born. And I want to I thank you, moms, who have set that as your goal. Whether you knew it or not, but you just think about it now, you have set that as a goal in your life. Now, the question is, are you doing it perfectly? <laughs> probably, probably not. Uh, in fact, your kids have stories uh, about you. And on really fun days, they come and share some of those stories about you with me. Uh, but you got stories about them too. And so uh, save those up, write them down, make sure you are able to pull them out when they start dating because you're going to want to be sure to share that with that boyfriend or girlfriend that shows up at your house. One of the, the beautiful things that uh, transformations that occurs uh, in, in many moms is often they turn into grandmas. And grandmas uh, eventually turn out to be these wonderfully fascinating 
creatures. I found a short story that I want to share with you um, about a grandma. Um, it's, it's entitled, Grandma, When a Southern Grandma Goes to Court. When a Southern Grandma Goes to Court. Now, the, the setting of this is a courtroom in a small southern town. And uh, this, is, this is how the story goes. The prosecuting attorney called his first witness, a grandmotherly elderly woman, to the stand. The prosecuting attorney approached her, and the first question he asked her was kind of strange. He says, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, why, yes, I, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy playing with my son. And frankly, you've been a really big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't got the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I'd say I know you. Well, the attorney was stunned. He, he just kind of stopped dead in his tracks. He, it was obviously, he, he panicked. And not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and, and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? Once again, she replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bailey since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, he's bigoted, and he's got a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone. His law practice is the worst law practice in the entire state. And not to mention, he's cheated on his wife with three different women, and one of them was yours. Yes, I, I know him, too. Now, both attorneys nearly collapsed. After that, the judge immediately demanded that both counselors approach his bench. He put his hand over the microphone, pulled the microphone down, and in a very quiet tone said to both of the attorneys, if either of you boneheads ask her if she knows me, I'll send you to the electric chair. Just a great story I've, I found. I thought about, about grandmas, um, which is, is just true. You know, by the time moms turn into grandmas and they're, they're at that stage of their journey, they pretty much know everything. You know, you just, you, you, you know that. If you've been following our governor, I probably should have gotten Dean Enfinger up here to tell, to, to do his governor impersonation because he does it really good. But if you've been listening to our governor over the last eight weeks, you know, uh, of course, he believes moms were right. When they told you, go back and wash your hands again. Do it right this time. When they told you, carry a handkerchief. When they told you, you know, sneeze or cough into, into your arm. Don't, don't just do it out, you know, with everybody. Moms, moms just know, you know. Nobody knows better than your moms. And so often, nobody, nobody other than God loves you more than your mom. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, years ago, while you're turning there, years ago, just you, some of you may remember there was a suspense thriller movie, it, book, got made into a movie, it was entitled The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. Now, let me just say it, it wasn't like a Christ-centered, kingdom of God building kind of book, but it had a really catchy title that was kind of really true. Now, I don't know if there's a better New Testament passage of that than in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, I've entitled this message, How to Change the World Without Leaving the House. That's what I've entitled the message today. And I've, I've done that for two reasons. The first is because of, obviously, the days that we're living in. And the second, because the mother 
and the grandmother mentioned in our text today, from their home, they raised a, a young man who became a world changer. He, he carried the gospel of Jesus passionately all over the known world at that time, and then, then ended up pastoring a very influential uh, church, mission-centered church. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but mom, uh, what, what you've done in raising children, you're, you're raising child raisers, and, and whether you're a mom or, or a, a grandma, those investing in, in those babies, you're going to have an impact on the world, and it could be an impact that actually changes the course of human history. We're going to see how Timothy grew up and uh, how this one letter is addressed to him and how he was personally handpicked by the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel and become this incredible pastor of this unbelievable church, the church uh, in Ephesus. So if you've got your Bibles open now to 2 Timothy, follow along with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, as I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of, of the Lord. Now, looking through this part of God's word, I find that there are what I'll call today three shelter-at-home investments that can be made in your kids, uh, and you can actually lead them into this move to become a world changer for, for the sake of the gospel for Jesus. And this just is, isn't just for moms. It's really for anyone, because anyone can make an investment in someone else. And these three investments, you can do them right, right from your house. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're simple. They're not easy, but they're actually very simple. Here's the first investment that I want to share with you. The first investment is this. Invest in the sensitivity of your child. Invest in the sensitivity of your child. Now, that's, that's actually something moms are pretty good at, at naturally. They're just kind of good at that. I hope one of the first things you'll notice in the text, the very first thing that Paul says he remembers as he's praying for Timothy and he thinks about Timothy were Timothy's tears. He remembers Timothy's tears. Not, not Paul's tears for Timothy, but Timothy's tears. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 uh, through 4, it says, To Timothy, my beloved child, I thank God whom I serve, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears. Timothy cried. Now, I, what's going on there? Why does Paul kind of out Timothy, you know, like that? Well, one thing we know about Timothy is that he was probably became Paul's dearest friend. Of all the people on Paul's staff, there was no one like Timothy. 
When Paul sends Timothy to the church at, at, at Philippi, uh, we read about this in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. New American Standard translates it this way, I have no one else of kindred spirit. What Paul is saying here is I look around and I don't see anyone like, like Timothy on, on my team. Our, our souls are knit. We have the same passion for the gospel. We, we, we love Jesus. We just we track together on this, this gospel mission that we're on. Well, this loyal friend and follower of Paul the Apostle, he, he demonstrated that he had this sensitive expression of his loyalty. And we don't know exactly which one, but obviously at some event, Timothy wept. Again, not sure what it was, but I think it was probably one of two possibilities. I think it might have been uh, when Paul departed and left Timothy to pastor, shepherd, and, and, and train up elders. Uh, we, we can read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, the first letter he wrote. Paul says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He was leaving Timothy there basically to become the primary teacher in the church at Ephesus. Maybe on that, on that leaving, that departing, maybe Timothy wept. There's another passage in Acts chapter 20 when the apostle Paul goes back to Ephesus. He meets with all the elders of that church on a beach and he addresses them. Uh, he tells them he's, he's about to depart. And in verse 37 it says this, And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he, Paul, had spoken that they would not see his face again. I think there's a strong possibility that Timothy was there. I think there was a strong possibility that he was one of those who was weeping at the thought of not seeing Paul's face again. Well, you know, it's one thing for for a man to cry, but it's another thing to, to have it written about in a letter that gets passed around to churches, you know, everywhere. You know, you can just see somebody meeting Timothy for the first time at church saying, oh, so, so you're Timothy. You're, you're that dude that, that kind of cries a lot is what I heard. You know, you're, you're that sensitive dude that, you know, weeps at going away parties. You know, it, it could be thought of as embarrassing for some men to have the fact known that they, they weep especially in a culture you know, like ours where traditionally boys have been told it's not a manly thing to do. It's not, it's not cool. You know? you're, you're showing weakness if you do that. One commentator I read about this said tears from a man like Timothy were probably more allowable among those of Paul's era than those of us living in the modern West. But please listen. Sensitivity is a good trait. It's a strong character quality, especially in a man. You know, a bonehead can be aloof and, and macho. Do you know that, that God himself, he compares himself to a sensitive mother. In the book of Isaiah chapter 66, we read this, for thus says the Lord, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. See, that, that's God comparing himself to the sensitivity, the, the tenderness of a mom. That's, that's the same God who is also known throughout Scripture as the Lord God Almighty, and yet he declares his sensitivity. He declares his own tenderness. 
And we know that when Jesus, our Lord Jesus, the, the, the strongest man who ever walked the face of the earth, when he was among us, he was moved to tears on several occasions. See, sensitivity in a man and in a woman is a Christ-like characteristic. Most of us learned most of what we have about sensitivity from our mothers. And I believe it's precisely where Timothy got his sensitivity from, from his, from his mother and, and his grandmother. And here's why. Most scholars believe that Timothy's dad died or deserted his family when he was very young, that he was raised by a single mom and, and a grandmother. And this sensitivity that they passed on, it's, it's one of the things that makes a man approachable. It's a sensitivity that makes a man relatable. It's sensitivity that, that makes a man loyal and, 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 and faithful. So that's the first, what I'll call, shelter-at-home investment to make in your children, to make in anybody that you may be discipling, sensitivity. Paul says, Timothy, when, when I'm in prayer and I think about you, the very first thing that comes to my mind is your tears, your tearful sensitivity. Second, shelter-at-home investment that I would encourage you to make in your kids or anyone that you're discipling for that matter is invest in the Christ-likeness of your child. Invest in that. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I hope you noticed in this scripture a father was not mentioned. The, the mother is, the grandmother is, but there's no mention of a father. Now, why is that? Well, again, because historians believe that either the father died or that he left the family because he was not a believer. We're told in Acts 16 when we're introduced to Timothy for the very first time, it says that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. The text seems to indicate with that, that but that we're dealing with a Jewish woman who had come to believe that Jesus was Messiah, but the father was an unbelieving Gentile. So what does that mean? Well, simply this. Timothy got his faith from his mother, not his father. We also further understand this, this fact that though he was raised by a Jewish mother, he was never circumcised. Because the Bible tells us that Paul, in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, Paul had to take him and get him circumcised before Timothy could go with him uh, to, to evangelize among the Jews. Now, why wouldn't Timothy have gone through circumcision like most Jewish uh, male-born children do? Probably because the dad said, no way, uh-uh, not happening. I know you Jews do that, but I'm the dad here and we're Greek. We don't, we don't do that, so that's not happening. I'm, I'm sorry. Now, remember, this was part of the covenant that the Jews lived under for every male-born Jew. But I do believe that Timothy's name was given by his mom. Because the name Timothy means this, one who fears the Lord. Doesn't that sound much more like a, a believing mom than an unbelieving dad? I mean, it really does. Timothy, one who fears the Lord. Now, that's something about Timothy's name. But we also some, know something about Timothy's mom's name from verse 5. The, the text tells us here that her name is Eunice. 
Now, you don't hear that name as much as you used to in, in, in years gone by. I, I can only think of one Eunice that I know, and that, that's Miss Eunice West, and she's a terrific lady, and it's a terrific name. Uh, the, 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 the name Eunice comes from the Greek word eunuche. Um, anybody got an idea what that, what, what that means, eunuche? It's, it's not unique. Uh, eunuche actually has the word in it, nike which most running enthusiasts look at and see Nike, but it's really Nike. Nike was the winged goddess uh, of the Greeks, and she stood for victory. And so the name Eunice, from Eunike, Eunice literally means one who conquers well or one who, who gets the victory. And Eunice, Timothy's, Timothy's mom, I believe, was very appropriately named. Because she obviously won a victory. She, she conquered in this home that was divided by faith. And she lived to see her son become this incredible gospel evangelist. This is Eunice. Now there are two times that Paul, we know of, goes to visit this city where Timothy was, where uh, his mom and his grandma lived. The city's name is Lystra. It's, it's in what we would know today as modern-day Turkey. Now we read about it. Uh, Paul's first visit uh, to Lystra in Acts chapter 14. We read about it there. And, and we're told that Paul had to flee to Lystra because his life was being threatened in another town. This is uh, believed to be by most uh, historians that this was most likely when Eunice and Lois were converted to Christ by Paul's preaching. And Timothy would have been pretty young here. Now, a couple of chapters later, after the first missionary journey is, is over, Paul eventually returns back to the town of Lystria. And by this time, Timothy has matured, both as a young man, but also in his faith in the Lord Jesus. And he's led to that faith by his mom and his grandma. And Paul notices this. And, and Paul is impressed by Timothy so that while he's on this second missionary journey and he comes to Lystra, he says, Timothy, I want you to be on my preaching team. I want you to travel with me. He, he saw some spiritual maturity in there. And Paul goes, Timothy, I think, I think God may be calling you into ministry. And so Paul makes this huge investment. And Timothy joins Paul's team and becomes this evangelist for Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. It says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him. And as they went on their way through the cities, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Timothy began to have this incredible influence for the sake of the gospel. People were coming to know Jesus through his ministry with Paul. One of the preachers from uh, years ago that I've begun reading about recently and just really have come to love is a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan lived in England in the late 19th and into the, the mid-20th century. He was called the Prince of Expository Preachers. Now, G. Campbell Morgan married, and he had four sons, and all four of them also became preachers. And can't you imagine those would be interesting family reunions? Well, one, one time at one of the family reunions uh, gathered, there were some friends there, and they asked one of the sons, Who's the best preacher in your family? 
they said the, the kid didn't blink. He was the youngest of the four preacher boys. He, he didn't even blink. And they, you know, they were expecting like an older brother or his dad or something like that. And he, he said, hands down, it's my mom. My mom is the best preacher out of that household. That, that's who the best preacher is. G. Campbell Morgan himself said that he got his love for ministry and his love for the word of God from his mom. You know, the, the, the Scottish people have a saying. They say this, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. Mom's out there saying, I knew that, you know, I knew that. See, the, j- just a little bit of gospel from a mama goes a lot further than lots of sermons from, from lots of preachers. And this was the case in Timothy's life. I want you to notice something else from the scripture, this term, sincere faith. Look back in verse 5. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice. That that word sincere faith comes from a Greek word, uh, anupokritos, anupokritos. Now, you may be able to figure out what that means. It means unhypocritical. Anuprocritos, un, unhypocritical. We, we translate that into sincere or, or, or genuine faith. Now, a hypocrite was in, in, in the Greek world was an actor. They, they were a Greek actor, and in Greek plays, they always wore, wore masks. And so what this passage is telling us is that we, we need to have an unhypocritical faith. An unhypocritical faith is a faith that's sincere and genuine. It's where people don't, don't wear masks. People don't pretend to be spiritual. They, 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 they don't pretend because they really are. You know, God's Word talks a lot about this. Uh, one of the ways it does is, is it says there are some people who practice their spirituality with their lips instead of their lives. There are people who know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. In, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus actually quotes something Isaiah says. And he, Jesus is talking about the religious people he's encountered. And he quotes Isaiah by saying this, that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is what Paul is talking about. He's, he says, Timothy, when I, when I look at your faith, man, it's unhypocritical. Your, your, your faith is genuine, Timothy. It's real. And you got it from your grandma who got it from her mom. That's where it came from. President Abraham Lincoln once said that no one is poor who has a godly mother. And godly mothers know this. They know that the first five years of a child's life are really some of the most critical. Experts tell us that 85% of a child's character is formed, is, is developed by the time they reach five years old. So while they're young, make those investments of sensitivity and Christ-likeness. Here's the, the third shelter at home investment that I want to just encourage you with. And again, it's, it's for anyone that you may be discipling. If you're a small group leader, sensitivity and Christ-likeness, you need to be modeling those. If you're a Bible study leader, whether it's for preschoolers or senior adults, we need to be just discipling into sensitivity and, and into Christ-likeness. But here's the third one. The third shelter-at-home investment that I would encourage you to make in the lives of your kids right now is invest in the courage of your child, the courage of your child. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say this, For this reason, 
Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I want you to notice the first three words of verse 6. It says, for this reason. Now, you don't normally begin a sentence that way. I mean, how many of you walk up to somebody in the first, you know, you're greeting a stranger for the first time and says, for this reason. We don't don't start sentences like that. There's got to be something, you know, behind that, supporting that, something, you know, that that, that there's a reason that you say that. You know, you, you have to have a preceding thought. So Paul says, for this reason, he says, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God which is in you. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, I recall the foundations of your faith. I recall those foundations, that, that strong foundation of sensitivity, that, that strong foundation of, of Christ-likeness that, that you received. And Timothy, you have every resource now to live courageously. You, you have every resource. See, the, the principle is simple. The, the product of a genuine faith is faithful service to God. All those years of sensitivity training and training in Christ-likeness, all of those years of, of teaching, parents, moms, dads, will eventually be worth it. It'll come to fruition. It'll be worth it. The fact that in verse 7, Paul says, for God gave us a spirit, not a fear. One of the things, as I was studying this, I read that many scholars believe that the reason Paul wrote that in this letter to Timothy is he had picked up on some sense that maybe Timothy was becoming fearful. Now, now why would Timothy start being fearful? Well, kind of simple. One of the things that was going on when Paul wrote this letter, Paul was in jail. Paul had been beaten for his faith. He had been arrested and was possibly going to be executed. And Timothy also knew that the, the Roman government, man, they, they were getting hot and heavy, crushing any expression of Christianity, much like we think of nations like China doing today. And many started falling away. Some who were leaders in the church started falling away, and others were having second thoughts about being courageous and bold. Another commentator presented the possibility that maybe Timothy was becoming apathetic in ministry. You know, believe it or not, it, it, it happens all the time. You know, people just start doing something, and if you do it long enough and you don't really see something happen, you, you, you begin to lose the spark. And Paul says, fan into flame. Fan, he, notice it. he says, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Now, that, that phrase, fan into flame, literally means to keep the fire stoked, keep it burning, don't, don't let the embers die. And again, the principle here is this. Sensitivity and Christ-likeness will provide a fuel for courage. Sensitivity and Christ-likeness, they give a child everything that's necessary for, for them to begin to face life with an attitude that no matter what they face, I'm going to make it through it. That, that God's going to do it. I don't, I don't have to shrink back. I can be bold about my faith. I can be bold in, in, in pursuit of, of, of God. Moms, I want to say to you, the seeds that you're planting right now in, your, in those young children's lives, you won't see those things germinate for a long time. But when they grow, you may possibly get to see what Eunice got to see, a bold, 
courageous, effective witness for the gospel. Now, I don't know if any of you may wonder, so what happened to good old Timothy? I told you a little bit, you know, he, he joins Paul on a second missionary journey. Uh, estimates are that when, when he went with Paul, he was in his late teens or, or early 20s when he began his ministry. And one of the things that's just true or I found it true when I study the history of Christianity, it's always grown as, as a youth movement. See, Timothy was young, but Paul said, I see a strong faith in you, and I want to nurture that along. And so he became, Timothy became Paul's disciple in Jesus. He became Paul's friend. He became call, Paul's co-worker for the rest of Paul's life, really. He, he was with Paul in Athens. He was with Paul in Corinth. He was with Paul in Jerusalem. He was with Paul in Philippi. He was with Paul in Ephesus. Paul refers to Timothy uh, about 11 times in the New Testament. And two of the New Testament books that we have were letters that Paul wrote personally to Timothy. How's that for impact? You know, how's that for, for, for known courage for the gospel? And notice what Paul says in verse 6 again. Fan it to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul, Paul laid hands on Timothy, the Bible tells us. Now, let me just back up for a second. I don't, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says there's like a good laying on of hands and, and a not so good laying on of hands. There's, there's a passage of Scripture uh, in Acts chapter 21, and it says this, and they laid hands on him seeking to kill him. That, that's not a good laying on of hands. Uh, a good laying on of hands is, you know, is the godly laying on of hands. It's a, it's a tender touch. It's a gentle laying on of the hand. It's affirming. Uh, it's an affirming touch that says, I see that God has laid his spirit on you. And it's simply a, an affirmation, a confirming of God's hand on your life. You know, we, we do that in, at, at River Bluff Church when we ordain deacons. And by the grace of God, we're going to get to do that. You know, as soon as, as, soon as it's safe to, to do that, we've got several men who are awaiting their ordination. And see, and Paul did this. Paul, at, at some occasion, he laid hands on, on Timothy. Maybe it was in Acts chapter 16 when he, he took him. Maybe he did this publicly with his, his mom and his grandma there before he began that missionary journey. He installs Timothy, you know, to, to this. If, if you look at, back at uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 verse 2, we see Paul writing to Timothy. And he has this affectionate statement. He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. This is how Paul begins his very first letter when he writes back to Timothy. Paul opens it by saying to Timothy, you're my true child in the faith. He, it's, a, it's a very personal statement, and he's saying, you're my son, spiritually, not, not physically. You know, you, you belong to, to, to Eunice, you know, biologically, actually, but spiritually, you are my son. And I came along and I laid my hands on you because I saw the activity of the Spirit of God in you. And, and, and friends, there's this beautiful, wonderful principle here. And it's simply this. When a mother lays her loving hands on her children, someone else will come along and lay their affirming hands on their children. And, and so what, what, what you do, moms, is you do the best job that you can do as a mom, but then you must trust God to do the rest. You can't do it all. 
As a mother, you equip your kids with sensitivity. You model Christ's likeness for them. God is the one who fills them with courage. Let the seed germinate. Give it time. Watch it grow. It will. It'll happen. I love a, a, a man by the name of Carl Menninger. He's a famous psychologist who believed in the power of transforming love. He once said this, what's done to children, they will do to society. It's just, it's a truth. Now, most every Christian parent that I've ever had an, a, a serious conversation with about parenting over the years will tell you this. I want my son, I want my daughter, I want my children to grow up, to love God, to serve God. The psalmist had that image, I think, in mind uh, in Psalm 121 when he wrote these words, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, one translator says you could translate the word heritage into the word assignment. It could also be translated that way. Children are an assignment from the Lord. Now, I know most of us thought, okay, we'll grow up, we'll, we'll get married, we'll have kids, they'll have homework, our homework's done. Well, we found out recently that's not true. Um, but the truth is, uh, if your kids are an assignment, you have homework the rest of your life. The psalmist says they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And that terminology, you know, arrows are made, they're designed to be launched. And it infers that, the psalmist does. But the, the, the psalmist also, I think, infers that you know what the target is. You know where the arrow's going because a warrior using an arrow knows that. It also infers this, that you've, you, you've landed on the target yourself one time. You know, you can't, you can't live out for your kids where you've not been. And so you see, Paul said, Timothy, you have an authentic faith. It was first in your grandmother. Then it was in your mother. They had it. They, they were the first. They, they, they lived it first, Timothy, in your, in your presence. See, the truth is you can't pass on what you don't have. They had it, and it was real. And Timothy got it, and it was real. You know, the Scripture infers that you have to go there yourself. You can't just tell a child, well, I'm going to launch it towards this goal, you know, of Christ-likeness, if you haven't modeled it. So moms, we, we want to honor you today. We, we honor what we understand to be your God-ordained role. We declare your role is one of the most important tasks on the planet. Your job matters, and it's a job that, that never ends. Some of you know that my mom went home to be with the Lord um, back in October of 2014. And uh, so this will be, this is my sixth Mother's Day without my mom. Uh, my mom battled cancer multiple times, actually. And uh, one of the interesting things uh, about my mom, when, when I would go to see her, even in that season when she was in, in decline, and it was almost kind of by default that I'd come in and we'd start talking, and one of the first things she talked to me about was my health. Watch your weight, watch what you're eating, you know, 
she, she would just kind of start talking like that. I mean, she's, she's battling cancer. She's coming to the end of her days, and she's still being mom to me because a mother's job is never done. But then here's the cool part about that. Her influence not only lasts a lifetime, but for generations to come. And moms, please hear this. In the hand of God, it can last into eternity, making an eternal difference. See, Eunice's influence launched Timothy into a ministry for Jesus Christ that proclaimed the good news of God for all nations. That, that through God, all human beings who are separated from God by our sin, that, that through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we could be made right with God. We could have a, a past that's forgiven. We could have a present that would be blessed of God. We could have a future that, uh, by the power of God, is, is certain, secured. Eunice had that faith, and she passed it on to, to her child. See, if, if we would put our po- complete trust in Jesus, if we would do that, if we would stop trusting in ourselves and, and the world's ways, Eunice did that, and she passed it on to her son, and Timothy did that, and they totally trusted Jesus to save them and bring them into God's family. There's nothing like that. That's the hope of the gospel, is, is Jesus. I want to I want to kind of close by returning to that first question that got asked today. The first question, really, it was asked of second graders. You remember it? Why did God make moms? And my answer was this, to help us arrive at God's best once we've been born. My answer comes from this passage that we've looked at today. And I just want to say, moms... Those of you who have made this your goal, thank you for setting that goal. Thank you for setting that goal to help us arrive at God's best once we're born. Thank you for your love. Thank you for honoring the Lord. Thank you for your sensitivity that you bring to us. Thank you for your Christ-likeness that you bring to us. Thank you for providing the true foundation for any real courage or boldness. And so, God, we want to thank you for our moms. Would you pray with me today? Let's pray together. Father, we come in these moments honoring you because you're the one who placed moms in our lives, the ones who are our mothers. And some of our moms aren't with us anymore. Some, some moms are just a memory. Others, moms are, are with us in this world, but maybe for some reason, maybe because of distance or social distancing, maybe this wretched you know, disease is keeping moms and children apart. But we still want to honor them. Maybe the word mom for you today You didn't have a mom like Eunice. But it doesn't mean you can't honor that mom. She wasn't perfect, neither are we. And God has a plan for you now. 
If you know him, maybe what you can do is turn to your mom and take the gospel to her. Moms, we want to honor you today. Lord, we, we believe that honoring our moms is actually honoring this great gift that, that, that you have given us, Lord. And so I pray, I pray, Father, especially for those who are raising young children right now, you know, just like we saw that, that mom in, this, in that funny little skit early in the service. Moms need us to remember that their work is hard. Sometimes their work is thankless. Sometimes it's sleepless. But moms, I pray today that you will know you will know. It's recorded in the gospel. It's recorded in God's word. It, it, it's worth it. So God, I pray that you will help moms display and, and pour into children's sensitivity. I pray that you will help moms display and pour into children Christ-likeness so that they know that they're providing fuel for the power of the gospel to be courageously proclaimed in the days ahead. And so now, God, we end our prayer asking for your blessing on moms. And so, God, we're, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that, that, that prayer from your word, Numbers 6, 24, 25, 26. We're going to pray that, God. God, we're asking you, to bless moms. We're asking you, God, to, to keep them. We're asking you, God, to turn your face toward them. We're asking you, God, to be, to be gracious to moms, to show moms your favor. This day to give them your peace in a world where it doesn't exist much. Give them your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.